0: Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash Sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash Sports. That's Indeed.com slash Sports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company,
2: Golden, Colorado. Trying to again by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner, gets up,
1: center! Perry! Corey Perry! Well, able to shake away from
2: Solani, it's giving away to. This- And we are back with another edition of the Forever Mighty podcast on a, what is it, Wednesday? Wednesday Wednesday. night? Thursday morning, technically, uh, for some of us. (laughs) That's not our fault, man. But uh, we get to talk about a Ducks win. And we went into this, again, I think after Monday, I was listening to Pat and Jay do the podcast after the Ducks lost their second straight 4-1 loss to the Kings. And I was like, we're going to have nothing to talk about. And then Zegers gets called back up for this game. Simon Benoit makes his his NHL debut. And this was the most chaotic game I think we've had all season. Just the just the sheer chaos in some of these goals that we're going to get to in a little bit. But John Gibson coming out thinking he could score himself a power play goal. Sam Carrick crashing the net, taking out Cal Peterson and scoring a goal. Sam Steele scoring a goal with his stick. Cam Fowler walking the defenseman <laughs> and scoring with uh, with just over a minute to go. It's not a bad game. It's an exciting one.
1: Yeah, no, that was fun. That was, uh, you know, it started off a little weird, like where like Anaheim had a little bit more of the puck in the beginning, but it didn't feel like they were doing much with it, and so you're like, oh, whatever. And then, you know, you to end up going into the third two two. Um, was just it ended up being a lot of fun. Um, we got to see some good goals. Got dramatic with uh, Cam scoring with what a minute left, I think. Yeah, so, like minute or seven or something. Yeah. So it, yeah, it ended up really delivering. I, I was actually really uh, surprised and happy with how that game went. That's a nice game to end the year on. Like yeah. I you know what I mean. Like anyway, I know it's not the end, the end but what I'm on, saying is like
2: the next six, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you know, you have that one. You're like, Oh yeah, look, that's what it's like to win a hockey game. All right, no, let's let's go win a draft lottery.
2: Yeah, yeah. We're all waiting for June 2nd's draft lottery now. That's that's kind of the big the next big step for the rest of this season. The the, the last six games with the next two against the Kings they are what they are. But uh Ducks were mathematically eliminated from the playoffs today with the Blues beating the Minnesota Wild in regulation. So this, I mean, we knew it was bound to happen. Like we knew this three or four months ago that this was going to be the case. Now it's just officially official that the Ducks aren't making the playoffs this year. So this this game, you, you know, it, it, like we said, we we knew it was going to happen, but it was a bit of a like relief here that like it's over. Like, it's officially over. You don't have to worry about it anymore. Like, there's no stress now. It's just, okay, we can just kind of enjoy watching these last six games. And you go into this one with probably the most exciting line we've seen all year. With Trevor Zegers centering, Maxim Comtron, and Troy Terry. Like, that's something I think a lot of us have been waiting for. And obviously, for Trevor Zegers to get called back up and finally play center, like, as late as it is in the season, I think this is the most excitement you could possibly ask for heading into a game.
1: Yeah. You know, and I think it's interesting. We had talked about this a little bit. Um, you know, I think when he was first sent down and all that kind of stuff, but he, it's, it's kind of fun, you know, that he came up to his first NHL game in, you know, what'll hopefully be the position he plays in Anaheim for the next 15 years or whatever. Um, As a center, but then the other thing is It was an away game, but there were allowed To be fans in the building, and it was Byfield's first game So, I just think that's such a Cool Kind of confluence of Events, like you were saying, like going into the game The lineup's exciting Um, You definitely get The kind of Like release of tension, like you talked about From knowing that mathematically they're eliminated So you don't have to worry about that anymore Um And then it just happens to be this game where, you know, what I think everybody in California to some degree hopes will be two of the 15 to 20 best players of hockey for the next 15 years. Um, You know, it's really exciting. And so I do think, you know, then to win this game and to have Cam make a great move like that at the end. And, um, you know, when... uh, win the 3-2 game like that at the end of the year with like you said six to go in which we could lose all of them going out uh equally so i i just think it was a nice little high note to hit as the year wraps up
2: yeah you get a, a nice mix of what the future of this rivalry is going to look like with byfield and zegris and drysdale and adrian Kempe and gabe Villardi and Then, obviously, with Getzlaff and Kopitar and Doughty and Cam Fowler still being a part of these teams, it's kind of a nice mix of the old guard and then the new guys coming in. I mean, you look at the Kings' goals in this game. They get one from Gabe Villardi, who was his first in like 24 games. A guy that they drafted 11th overall, a guy that they still have high hopes for. And then, obviously, their second overall pick in Quinton Byfield making his debut. Trevor Zegris' return. Jamie Dry still continues to look... Uh, like he's 25 already playing, <laughs> playing just as a 19-year-old in this league, and you look at all the other young guys in the in the Ducks lineup tonight. It, you get like a little bit of a a taste of what this is going to be, you know, four or five years down the road when mm-hmm. you know Trevor Zegras is playing at his best and Jamie Drysdale is playing at his best, and obviously the Kings have a lot more guys on the way, guys like Alex Kerfoot <laughs> and Arthur Kaliev and, and a bunch of other guys they have in this system. But you know, the Ducks still have have a few guys that. Uh, you know, like Perot and, and Gru and and Tracy that will eventually make their way to the NHL that uh, will be a part of this. But we got to quickly hit the, the lineups for this game. As I mentioned, Zegers with Kumtuan Terry, that was my favorite line by far of all year. They were the best line, I think, on the ice for the Ducks tonight. Uh, Trevor Zegers led the way, I think, with like a 71.5% expected goals for percentage. I know they were getting kind of heavily favored in, in the offensive zone, but. That's what you want, right, from, from those guys. And it, it's one game, but it bodes well for the future. And it, it's so funny. You look at that line, and then you go to the what the Ducks listed as their second line, which was Delorier, Grant, and Ryan Getzlaff playing on the right wing of this de facto second line. And then you've got Jones, Steele, and Sam Kerrig playing on the right wing of uh, of a fourth line. And then uh, Lindstrom back now with, uh, with Volkov and Raquel kind of just a mixed bag of, of random roster assignments. Like, I like Lindstrom, Volkov, and Raquel. I like Terry, Zygris, and Comtois. The other two was just kind of a mishmash of who was left.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, they were they were kind of weird. I, I was thinking about the, the Getzloff on the wing thing, and uh, I think I saw something online that there might be uh, some stuff that recently come out about this as far as like why they decided to do it. But I was wondering if part of it is maybe having him on the wing makes it easier to move him around in the lineup. If you need him, um, you know, you can just kind of play him wherever and, you know, you know, he's going to kind of just play his game. Mostly, you know, he's not really going to be doing a lot different. Like I think tonight I saw him like noticeably in on the four check more than we've seen him in a long time. Um, But I don't think his game is going to be all that different. Uh, So I was wondering about that. But I think, like you said, the rest of it's a little bit of a, a mixed bag. And it's hard to know what it's going to look like going forward and stuff like that. But that first line is something I know we had talked about as wanting to see. And it makes a ton of sense. And if that becomes a viable first line, I think that takes a lot of pressure off of some of these other guys. You know, and now... You've got guys like Jones and um, Lundestrom and Steele who maybe can exceed expectations and step into a high and middle six role or something like that. And then you've got some of these guys like Perot and Colangelo, which if they become legitimate goal scorers and you're using them to bolster second or third lines, I think that's huge. Um, So I think that that first line is something I would like to see kind of hold up for the rest of the year. Because I think, on paper, it just makes too much sense.
2: Yeah, I mean, they probably should have had a goal in this game. Zegers was working the power play like we've seen from him all year. Probably should have had a point in this one. You feel like if they stay together, it's bound to come. And this is the first game that we saw, I guess, the future of the Ducks franchise at center, all three of them playing. In the lineup mm-hmm. at center with Zygris, Lindström, and Steele all playing down the middle. Obviously, Derek Grant was <laughs> still part of that because you still got to throw him down the middle of the ice. But yeah, it's the it's the first look we get at what is potentially you know the one two three punch down the middle for the Ducks. Obviously, you know if if they go out and draft a center like Matty Biniersen in, in right. this year or Shane Wright next year, that that will change. But it is uh, you know the first time that we're seeing that. And then obviously Simon Benoit. Making his NHL debut just has a you know an amazing story to, to his game and how he got to the NHL. But uh, if you listen to the broadcast, I think uh, if you had a drink every time they mentioned the fact that he was six foot three or that Quentin Byfield was six foot five, you'd uh, you'd probably be pretty hammered by the end of the night because I think I heard it about ten <laughs> times that, that Simon Benoit was six foot three. Like this guy has an amazing story. Undrafted, signed a PTO with the goals, signed an AHL deal. Finally, an NHL ELC now makes his NHL debut, and all the broadcast mentions is the fact that he's six foot three, one hundred and ninety five pounds. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, it's bad, man. I like you know as as much as I can be guilty of that kind of stuff too at times. Just you know, just because I guess it's stupid though. Like you know, it's stupid when you say it out loud and you think about it. But you're like, true, right? It's like. I think it was Rachel Dory made the point of, like, you have to write your prospect evaluations without uh, mentioning their handedness or their size. And it's like, yeah, like, it's just those are just such, have become such ridiculously significant identifiers in what we kind of expect of players that it it ends up pigeonholing guys. And to see someone like Byfield who has that size but also has that speed and that skill is just, it's, it's very exciting. And for Simone Benoit, you know, it's funny that he's six foot three and he ended up being undrafted. You think that alone would get him drafted? There's guys who are uh, clearly not as good as him who get drafted because they're six four. So,
2: yeah, and I'm I'm guilty of that with Byfield too. But because like he's such a freak coming out of his draft year that he was like six four, two hundred and ten when he was drafted as a seventeen year old. So it's ridiculous, but it's just funny. You know, it, it's yeah. it's bound to happen. But you know, it wasn't the greatest of debuts for Benoit but he still looks solid like he didn't make any you know obvious errors I think he played around 14-15 minutes tonight was playing with Kevin Shattenkirk they kind of gave him a lot of five on five time I'm not sure if he logged that many minutes on the penalty kill or the power play i have to double check but pretty tame calm debut from him I'm not sure if he gets in for the next game or if this is kind of just, we're going to hand you your, your debut and we'll we'll see what happens going forward. Because it's not like the Ducks have a ton of injuries on defense. I mean, they took Andy Walensky out of the lineup to put to put Benoit in. So it's not like you're taking out a regular, you know, an NHL regular out of the line to, make, to play him. But when you look at the guys who are down there, you know, the fact that Benoit got a debut before Cody Curran is interesting. The fact that Josh Maher is still down there. And this is nothing against Benoit. He's played great. He had a great week in San Diego. But... It does kind of make you wonder is, you know, is he, is this just a look just to give him a look or is he going to play the rest of the season, especially with all those guys down there?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the one thing to say is they did get somewhat of a look at Mahura this year, right? Mahura played what, like 11 or 12 games? Um, Yeah. You know, so they, in whatever degree that they're trying people out, I think you can at least go, ah, you got 10 games. Like we have at least a decent idea of what that is at 10 games. Um, I do think it's interesting that they brought up, uh, Benoit before they brought up Curran. um, just kind of given, like you said their what Benoit's story is and being undrafted. And then Curran, who was the MVP as a defenseman of the Swedish league last year, um, You know, so I just think that's that's interesting. But, you know, they waited a little while to bring Hawkenpah up as well. So I don't know that anything can be read into it too much. It might just be Anaheim, by and large, giving European defensemen a chance to play on the smaller ice uh, at a lower level and a lower expectation than having to step right into it at the NHL level. So, but he looked okay. You know, I don't know that Shattenkirk's the easiest guy to play with. Like, uh, I think tonight more than anything for me, Shattenkirk looked like a forward. Uh, and I don't know that if it's your first game as a defenseman in the NHL, that that's necessarily the easiest partnership to walk into. Um, but he didn't do anything that made me question why he was in
2: the lineup. So, yeah, Jay Southern brings up a pretty decent point on on why he might have got his debut tonight. Is that you know, he's a bigger, heavier-hitting guy, and we know how the Ducks love to kind of slot those guys into the lineup. Um, you know, Wilensky, they've utilized him more as kind of a shot-volume offensive defenseman, even though that's, I mean, it's not really his skill set, but that's more of what he's known for. Then you bring Benoit, and I guess for what they expected to be a physical battle, it was surprisingly not as physical as we're used to seeing in, mm-hmm. a, in a Ducks-King rivalry, but it's changed a lot and you know you look at that first period and the fact there was only 10 faceoffs in the, in, in the beginning uh, in the beginning frame and we went through that uh, that first period in, in a pretty quick amount of time it, it's clear that you know the game and the style of play of both these teams is changing, which bodes well for the future of this rivalry when we look I mean there's always going to be a physical ass and a nastiness kind of aspect to this rivalry but when you look at the young players coming up like, it's going to be a fun one to watch once both of these teams get back to, you know, being competitive teams in the Western conference. Like it's, it's going to be a nasty one, but it's going to be full of a lot of skill and a lot of speed.
1: Yeah, it's, it should be a blast. I, I think, you know, and like you said, there were guys that we didn't even see in the lineup tonight that are going to be a part of that going forward. Um, There's a lot to be excited about for the future. I think like you said, the lack of physicality tonight kind of showed. Uh, it's it's really surprising, I think, just for you, just because we do know that the Kings are still kind of trying to fight for that playoff spot. But Anaheim, you know, they literally have nothing. Like, even, this isn't even a year where they can just play for, quote-unquote, like, just finish out respectfully or
2: whatever. Um, or respectably. But... Just finish above the Sabres, pretty yeah, much. Yeah,
1: exactly. So, <laughs> at this point, it's... I don't know. It's just kind of whatever.
2: No, this so, team's missing Bill Kessel, he
1: said, Shit, dude, but no, I just think, <laughs> you know, they don't have a lot of energy right now. And I think it's hard for them to kind of muster that up because there isn't anything, you know, to play for, there's really
2: not any pride on the line. Like you are,
1: what you are at this point, you're one of the three worst teams in the league. So.
2: Yeah. Uh, we, we, before we get to <clears throat> more of our post game stuff, we have to talk about the Kings second goal, Adrian Kempe's school. Uh, more so, not the goal itself, but John Gibson on that play. We've seen Gibby a few times, especially in the last couple of weeks, where it just looks like he's, I don't want to say given up, but he's just, you know, taking he, he just doesn't care anymore in some of these plays. I mean, it, it's easy to say that with how bad the Ducks are and, and you know, how he's kind of left hung out to dry a lot of the times, but I don't know what he was thinking on that play. Like Cam had a good, Two or three feet on Kempe And he just kind of slowed down he was going to take the puck And probably circle behind the net or whatever And and play it out. and all of a sudden Gibson flies out of the net To try and play the puck They uh, end up kind of colliding a bit and Kempe Ends up putting in the back of the net Obviously it doesn't hurt the Ducks at the end of the day And even if they lost because of that goal it wouldn't really matter too much But it just feels like Gibby is just out of it He's checked out for the rest of the year
1: Dude I have to be completely honest with you that like that that exact situation as it developed and having the defenseman coming back being Cam, like that perfectly happened in a way that like I was looking at that and I was like, God damn it, Cam and all I was thinking about was blaming it on Cam and not on Gibson. And like, yeah, that was he shouldn't have been out there, but it does bother me that Cam didn't pick up his head and like look at him. But at the end of the day, you're on the power play and you know, you you have the advantage. So just let your guys come back, take it behind the net, and break out again. Like it just it it was it was reckless. And although it didn't cost the team in the end, I do think it was a very high risk, low reward proposition. I'm not sure that there was a significant advantage. You know, it's not like one of those things where you can see a breakout pass developing and they're just going for it. Like this didn't feel like that. This just felt like him making a decision to just come out and okay fine but this is what happens so
2: we've seen him do that before like you said where he's tried to come out and play quickly and catch you know the them on a bad change and a two on one or three on two to, to kind of push the power play forward i mean maybe that's what his thought process was there clearly cam had no idea what was going on in that play? But it's it just kind of sums up the duck season and the season for Gibson on that play. You know, with only seven games remaining and some of the shit that he's been through this year, that uh, we've started to see him kind of unhinge a little bit over the last little bit. Where he's just kind of made these plays where you're like, "What are you doing, man? Like, we need to get you into the off season and just let you have a, a little bit of a break here because he's been he's been put through it this year for sure. Like, it's gotta be tough. I can only imagine where." You know, a couple seasons ago, we we're talking about John Gibson being in the Vesna discussion because he's just carried this team or kept them afloat. And then now, the last two seasons specifically for him have just been so bad. And it's not even really his fault. It's just the team in front of him has been, yeah. You know, one of the bottom three teams in the league over the last two years. Like it's impossible to be a netminder as good as you are. You could plug any you know top netminder in the league on this team and they're going to struggle and it's going to be tough. Like if anybody's been through it over the last two seasons, is John Gibson. He's at the top of that list.
1: Yeah. He's been the Ducks best player for three years in a row. And it's, it's really, you know, unfortunate that right when he really kind of found his groove at the beginning of what would that be? The 18, 19 season. Yeah. Um, The team that was right when the the, you know the rest of the roster fell apart on him and the 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 roster hasn't been able to recover in front of him and he's kind of suffered from them but you know I just think it's been a really rough stretch and I do think there is a degree to which so much of us like a lot of us have just kind of decided to just let everything go with him like he can do no wrong like there's no reason to be mad at him because he's been put in an impossible situation for the last, you know, 3 years.
2: So, yeah, he he needs a break. He needs it to I mean he can't go on vacation because we're in the middle of a <laughs> pandemic, but he, he needs some some home time to just put this season behind him and and hope, hope for better things next year, but uh, we'll talk about Sam Steele's goal here because this is is everybody like to point out the first goal he scored with his stick in a long time, but <laughs> It was a good one. I mean, he had a lot of time to pick the corner, uh, but you got to give him credit. He did it, and he sniped the top corner on Cal Peterson. It's nice to see Sam Steele get a normal goal and one that showcases his ability on the offensive side of the game, especially coming off of the discussion that Pat and Jay talked about on Monday's show where Dallas Aikens was saying he wants him to be more of a matchup checking Mm -hmm. center that can shut down the opposition it's nice to see him get back to what I guess he was labeled as as a prospect of being not really a sniper, but more of an offensive minded player, a guy who puts the puck in the back of the net or setting up his teammates. And we know he has that ability. It's just now finding the consistency that's going to get him to being, you know, a potential 40 or 50 point player. Not to say this is you know, going to kickstart that for the, the last six games of the season. But when we look at the progress of Terry and Jones and, you know, Zegers and Drysdale coming in this year, and, and really everybody else is kind of taking it a step forward. Come to a while, of course. You know, Sam Steele's the only one who's taken a step back. And he's only got, a you know, a handful of games to really not not prove that he's he's turned it around, but at least end the season on a high note. So this is a good start to doing that. I think he had a goal in the Vegas, uh, the last game against Vegas. And now, you know, so he's got two goals in his last three games a nice end to the season here would be would be a nice, uh, nice finish for Sam Steele.
1: Yeah, I don't know if it happened for anybody else, but I'm pretty sure, like, on the Kings broadcast that I was watching, um, he paused so hard before shooting that the camera moved forward just assuming he was going to rip it right away and had to pull back. And I think that, for me, was incredibly telling, was how patient he was, and he did grab it and wait, and he didn't, you know, right. it's funny, I think, you know, sometimes where you talk about guys either rushing to get shots off or overthinking it and waiting too long. And, you know, it's always situational. And I think this was a perfect example of him having the situational awareness to know to give himself a second for the play to develop in front of him. And he just makes a great shot. And like you said, you know, he did come in with a little bit of, of offensive hype. Um, and so to see flashes of this level of play is nice. The question will be, is it going to be more consistent or is it just going to be flashes? You know, is, is this something he's going to do five or six times a year and the rest of them are just going to be, you know, maybe three or four ugly goals? Uh, or is this something that, you know, you're looking at a guy who can potentially score
2: 15 even strength goals a year? So. Yeah, I mean, even if they're ugly goals, so if he's putting the puck in the back of the net or, or getting on the score sheet, it still counts, right? Like, how many <clears> pretty goals has Maxim come to us scored this year? You know, a lot of them are tap-ins at the back post or being in the right position. So, you know, yeah, yeah it's nice but, to see him wire it, but as long as he's scoring, that's all that matters. I, yeah, I think
1: that's fair, but I do also think that, like, you can look at the way that they play and if Sam Steele changes his game and becomes a fundamentally like drive straight line player, the way Maxime Comtois is, then that's a different conversation. But at this point, he doesn't seem to be that guy. He seems to be a player who is going through a slump and is doing the simple things to try to get that going. But I think the play that we saw tonight is much more indicative of if he clicks, you know, at a, Fifteen to twenty goal level, what you are going to see, it's going to be things like this. It's going to be him making plays. It's going to be him being a, a second option on a good line, um, you know. And so, uh, I think with Maxim Kompotov, you can see that those goals are with intention, uh, as opposed to those goals with Sam Steele are just he was, you know what I mean? Like it's not this. It's just like a uh, skate to yeah. the front of the net. You're the first guy in. Whatever. And I do think that's a little bit different. So I would say next year and the you know, next year will be telling because if he scores, you know, five or six goals like that again next year or something like that, then, yeah, maybe it is a thing where that's the way he's playing now. But I'm not counting on his ugly goals as being a sign of much.
2: Yeah. As far uh, as
1: future production.
2: Sorry. No, at the very least, like it's a, it's a better goal-scoring season for Sam Steele this year. I think that goes under the radar a bit. He had six goals and 16 assists in 65 games last year. He's got six goals and six assists in 38 games this year. It's not quite up to the same point where he had six goals in 22 games in his rookie season. If he scores one more by the end of this season, so in the final six games, it will be a career high for him. I mean, seven isn't anything to yeah. to write home about, but it's it's yep. not... A lost season, I think, I and mean, I've made it out to be a lost season, but I don't think it's as detrimental as I think we're making out to be at sometimes. I think,
1: yeah, I think that's fair, right? But I think the question is, is what are you looking at for this year, right? Because if he was 25 and this team was contending, then yeah, you take the points however you get them, and you deal with that in the off season but this is a team at the bottom of the standings who we are looking at as which guys are going to be part of this future. And so I do think that while it is good for him to be able to have those little milestones to point to, especially given how much he has struggled at times this year. Um, I do think from an outside perspective, what we are looking at more is a little bit more of the process than the results. And I, are those, is that process repeatable? You know, is this a thing that we're going to be able to rely on going forward? And if so, that's great. Um, and if not, well, then he's still got the goal and good for him. But I, it's just, I think that's just one of those, the way I'm looking at it thing. Cause you're 100% right. It's nice for him to get the goals. It's nice to get the win. Like, I, I'm not dismissing any of that.
2: Yeah. I, I think the thing that's always going to go against Sam Steele, unfortunately, it, it, it's fairly similar to, The Nick Ritchie situation is all the hype that was built up before he made it to the NHL. Because like, if we sat here and said, if Sam Steele became Adam Henrique, are you disappointed? I think most people, I think it'd be a 50-50 split. I think most people would say, you know, probably not. Like, that would be pretty good. And some people would say, yeah, it is disappointing based off what they thought he could be. And I think even if you took the same question and asked it about Isaac Lindstrom... I think the percentage would be a lot higher, saying, "Yeah, that would be amazing if Isaac yeah. Lindström turned into Adam Henrique." But mm-hmm. Isaac Lindström was drafted higher than Sam Steele was. He was drafted a few spots in front of Sam Steele. Sam Steele was drafted, I think, thirtieth overall, and Isaac mm-hmm. Lindström was drafted, you know, late twenties. Yeah, were roughly. Yeah, they're they're roughly around the same spot, but it's that. Hundred thirty one point junior season that Sam Steele had, where he won CHL Player of the Year, and
1: was that all his the hyped up built up. Or is that
2: his, D,
1: his D plus one
2: year? Yeah. yeah. So right after his draft year, so it's 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 almost the worst year yeah. to have that type of boon in production. Like he had seventy points in seventy two games in his draft year, then had one hundred thirty one in sixty six games with fifty goals yeah. in his D plus one year. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that he was snubbed for the World Juniors. He stayed on a, a Regina team that was stacked with a lot of the rest of the top WHL players going and playing in for Canada in the World Junior Championship. There's a lot of things that went into what was just an exceptional year for him. But that's always going to be a detriment to, you know, when we're evaluating his potential and where he is in his game right now. Because I think when if you you know that he should be kind of analyzed the same is Isaac Lindstrom in terms of where they could end up. But he'll always be thought of as a guy who could have done more just based off the hype that was built up around him. But him becoming Adam Henrique is amazing. If he becomes that for the Ducks as a late first-round pick to become you know, a potential 20-goal, 40, 50-point center in this league who's reliable in their own zone, that would be a huge win. I mean, that would be great for the Ducks to have a guy like that in his prime, to go along with Ziggris and Perot and Drysdale and Comtois and Terry and all those other guys. Yeah, it, it. He
1: is a victim of expectation. He's a victim of circumstance, and you know, he had that. Like you said, he had that one great 131 point year, and he had. He's kind of the opposite of Tracy, right? Braden Tracy popped the year before he was drafted or going into the draft, and then the next year he struggled. And so already as fans, we've kind of, uh, you know, moderated our expectations, and you've heard it from some of the people uh, who write and talk about prospects as far as, well, you know, maybe this isn't, uh, you know, uh, this is someone that we were hoping would kind of be farther along right now. And so now we have to wonder, is it just a slow development or whatever? You know, Sam Steele is someone that everybody was just kind of sitting on and waiting uh, because he was going to, you know— I, th- I would say we talked ourselves into believing that he could be the guy that could keep the window open as opposed to Lundestrom, who was a guy that was taken at the end of the first round who could turn into an NHL player, but might not because he's a little undersized and there's question about his offense and all that stuff. You know, I, I think you're dead on that in a lot of ways they are, similar from, like, a skill set and from a size and thing like that, so uh, yeah, I think, you know, it's unfortunate, but I think at this point, you know, like, I asked it on Twitter the other day as far as if Sam Steele became Andrew Cogliano, and for me, that's the one I think that makes the most sense as far as a projection, because Cogliano was drafted as a center by Edmonton to be a number two center, to provide some depth, and he ended up getting moved to the wing, and then he got traded to anaheim and it completely changed i think the trajectory of his career and i think sam Steele has a lot of similarities maybe a little bit more offense than defense um but that's not a bad thing for cogliano so even if he turns into andrew cogliano i think that's great you know but i I get that a large portion of the fan base is going to be frustrated if that's all he becomes quote unquote
2: yeah, and, and as much as face off wins are overvalued, it's still not a bad thing to have a guy on the wing, just like Andrew Cogliano was who could step into the face off dot and, you know, fifty six, fifty seven percent of the time win you a draw and is reliable and is gonna step in there, he's not gonna be you know, a, a a typical winger who steps in and likely is going to lose the draw, right? So it, it, it face-offs don't have a huge impact on the game, but it is still nice to have that option as a winger, you know, a second winger on a penalty kill, where you've got your main center who goes in, and then if he gets thrown out, you've got Sam Steele who could come in and, and still do the job and win a face-off, and especially if it's in your defensive zone. And you're in a penalty kill in, you know, in a playoff game or in a, you know late in the, in the game in an important draw. Those are where you like to have those guys who could step in. So I'd like to see him on the wing at some point. I think he eventually gets forced onto the wing whenever um, you know, we see Zegers obviously permanently at center now. And Isaac Lindstrom looks like he's going to stay at center once some of the other prospects kind of move in. And if the Ducks draft to center this year, I think eventually if Sam Steele is going to be a part of this organization, is probably going to be on the wing. And and I would love to see how his game translates to playing on the wing. I think he has a skill set that actually would do pretty well uh, where without, you know, the main defensive responsibilities he's tasked with right now.
1: Yeah, I think that's, you know, I think that's exactly what it is, right? Is you take a little bit of that defensive responsibility away, but you take someone who is capable defensively. And it allows them to excel because they're not as, you know what I mean? They're not as crucial, so they can kind of improvise a little bit more and use uh, their skating and their uh, hockey IQ to kind of jump plays here and there. Um, But so I wanted to ask you this. If you had to say right now, which one do you think Sam Steele is more likely to become, Cogliano or Henrique?
2: I would say... Probably Cogliano. I think it's somewhere Eventually in the middle And I don't know If it's with the Ducks Just based off Aiken's comments Mm -hmm. I feel like They still think He's going to be a center And I think a lot of that Has to do with the fact That they like You know the, The defensive side Of the game that he has And the fact that he wins draws And they value that Still highly You know Maybe they shouldn't put up As much importance on it As they do But you know it's no secret that they value that and they like to have guys who can be out there and and win 56 percent of their draws and why getzlaff and henrik and sam Steele are usually the centers for the ducks when everybody's fully healthy now maybe that's changing with trevor zegers moving to the middle of the ice and and we'll see how that goes but i i think it's i think it's eventually somewhere in the middle but uh if he's with the ducks i think he's going to be a center so Maybe if he wants to transition to the wing, and if that's eventually where you know his career takes off, similar to like you said with Andrew Coglano when he moved from Edmonton to Anaheim, then maybe we see a bit more production from him, a bit more you know freedom for him to to flourish offensively where he can't really do that as a centerman. I think I think honestly, if if I had to to sit here and say where do I think his best position is for him to really utilize his skill set, I think it's on the wing. Yeah, I agree. But we'll see. I mean, I, I can't. I can't honestly see that being with Anaheim. That's it, it's sad to say. I just don't know where he gets in on the wing, right? Like when you look at the, the wingers the Ducks have already, and the wingers they have coming up. I don't see him getting that opportunity. I mean, he's had it before, but now with all the other wingers that they have coming, I just I can't see him getting another shot on the wing. I think they're they are pretty dead set on him playing center if he's playing for the Ducks.
1: Yeah, it's almost like the opposite of that, like, you know, that cliche that, like, you don't become CEO at the place you worked in the mailroom, right? Like, they don't hire from the mailroom because they saw you at, like, your least interesting or appealing, theoretically. Um, So if you go to an outside company, then what they're going to see is the candidate that you are and have become and yada, 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 and then you go there. And it's kind of the exact opposite with Sam Steele, where it's like, no, he was a first-round center that we drafted. And like I, I, I do think that he could have a nice, long career as a potential second, third-line tweener winger. Uh, but I, do th- I am afraid, like you're saying, of the idea of Anaheim never seeing him as anything more than a center and either dropping him down to the fourth or uh, moving on. A little early, so
2: yeah. yeah. I mean, when he was coming up, I you know I never thought he would be a center and adapt well to the defensive side of the game. Be a guy who wins faceoffs, and to his credit, he's proving me wrong. But maybe maybe for the detriment of him actually succeeding in this Ducks lineup is that you know his, I, I I would I can't say for sure until we actually see him you know on the wing for a decent sample size of games, mm-hmm. but he just does have that skill set that you think would be better served as a winger where he can kind of do some more things offensively and be a bit more creative because he has the ability to do that. But when you've stuck him at center and he has a little bit more responsibility, he's not a Trevor Zegers where he'll do it no matter what. He's got game breaking ability on every play. He needs a bit more space and a bit more time to do those things where, where he can actually, you know, excel and he can only do that on the wing. He can't do that at center. So if, and, and if he, you want him at center, then he's going to have to be that matchup checking center. That's the only way I think he succeeds as a center. And then that's likely as a third line kind of penalty killing center. Whereas mm-hmm. if he's on the wing, I think like you said, he could be that middle six guy who can slide up and down the lineup as a second line winger or a third line winger and just contribute and, and be you know that kind of potential 20 goal guy, 40 point guy on the wing.
1: Yeah, I, you know, um it he's got a tough road ahead of him. I think um, you know, I think there's going to need to be a lot of questions asked and answered about who even out of the young ducks is going to be a part of this team going forward and for how long, you know, especially with the contracts for Henrique and Silverberg being what they are and Raquel and Manson are a year away from UFA and Lindholm is two years away. Like, they're going to have to be some decisions made very quickly about who is and isn't a part of this team. And I think either whether it's with Seattle or, uh, you know, a quote-unquote hockey trade, uh, I I think there's a very good chance that by the end of next year, Sam Steele's in a different jersey.
2: If Sam Steele goes to Seattle and flourishes as a...
0: They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire you need indeed
2: with the Seattle crack. And I'm going to be upset.
0: But Isn't that
1: almost perfect, right? If he goes there, he has the one crazy season like William Carlson had. And then he turns into a perfectly decent second line center. Yeah. Because that's I mean, he what has William that Carlson is. William Carlson is not, you know, a 50 goal scorer. Like he was that first year. He's just not that guy. Now it's dope as hell that he did it. And I'm not mad at him. Um, But, you know, like you said, the sample size is big enough now to say that was the outlier. So, you know, if Sam Steele goes and has one big pop in Seattle and then just is kind of fine for the rest of forever. You know, I'm fine with that. I'm not going to hold any animosity for Seattle right off the jump.
2: The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. his game is fairly similar to William Carlson. Not to say that he's going to go off and do the same thing, but if he was to go to a team mm-hmm. like Seattle and get a new start, I think I think there's potential for him to maybe not have that type of year, but a breakout year for sure. Um, one guy we got to talk about because it's the guy who's going to be here for a while is Cam Fowler, and apparently he only scores beautiful goals against the Kings now because yeah. his last two goals were fairly similar. This one was nicer than the last one, but he likes that kind of skate to the the top of the, you know, Top of the opposition zone, cut in and toe drag, and then snipe one top corner. So, I, I mean, it's this was weird. beautiful. But
1: it's uh, it's weird how a guy who should be playing wing does better below the dots offensively. I think that's interesting.
2: Yeah, Thanasis is going to be watching that one back after this game because Cam Fowler put that right between his legs. Oh, <laughs> like was, if you if you took the number off, I would. Beauty batting money that was Zegers who pulled that off. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. If you to- oh, if you just said this is a thing that happens tonight, who does it? Yeah. No, you wouldn't guess Cam. You'd, drys- you'd guess Drysdale before you guess Cam. Yeah. Hell, I think I'd guess Troy Terry before I guessed Cam. But you know, I, it, it was an incredible play. I don't know, you know, what you saw right there was the the promise that was made a decade ago with him, which is. This dude who has incredible puck skills and is an insanely gifted skater uses both of those things to be an impactful uh, top four defenseman with, you know, the ability to score goals and things like that. And, like, that's what he was for a play. He was. It's exactly what he was. It was beautiful. He made two great moves. He made them smoothly. He had a patience and confidence in, in it. But there are other times where he, you know, is supposed to be guarding the front of the net and he's over in the corner because he just got pushed all the way over there. I, you know, I
2: don't know. It's, it's almost like it's, if he was making $2.3 million less, it wouldn't be a problem. We'd be sitting here saying, wow, Cam Fowler is a great player and he's only making $4 million. And, you know, yeah, he has his, his wards, but he's only making $4 million. And yeah, then he can like, pull off plays like this.
1: Let me tell you what his biggest issue is, and I'm not even being funny. It's that him and Cam, him and Josh Manson doesn't work as a pair. It's the dumbest thing in the world because on paper it's perfect, and every time they play together they both look terrible. If that pairing worked, I don't think Cam Fowler's contract looks as bad because you have the perfect pair, right? You have that hard-nosed defenseman and that – Smooth skating, freewheeling offensive guy, and but what you end up with more often than not is Cam Fowler on a line with someone who doesn't play defense or isn't very good, and so when he makes mistakes, they stand out, and he's put in a position to carry guys in a way that I don't think he's capable of. Um, but goddamn, that was a sweet play tonight. So you know, I it's just it's just so funny like i had literally just made a joke about him and then he does that it's it's beautiful
2: so i don't i don't want to get into it because i feel like i could get into a two-hour discussion about camp fowler here but i gotta ask one question about it before i move on from him is it saying something that we have never found like a right guy to play with Cam Fowler. Like there's never been a guy who would be like, oh yeah, like this is it. And they're going to be together for a while. Like it's never happened for him. Is that him or is that the Ducks inability of actually putting a quality defender with him?
1: I don't know because you know what I would, I I, I, honestly, I do think he was fine with Lovejoy, but I do think him and uh, Dispress would have been, a great pair and should have been a pair together and Dispress just got injured. So uh, I think, I think it very much speaks to his limitations and the way he has been misjudged by the organization, but I don't know that it's his fault. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't say it's his fault either. I mean he ultimately doesn't get to pick who he plays with. And it's up to the organization to evaluate his skill set and go out and find the right guy to go and play with him. They just haven't done that. They have you know, like you said, Lovejoy's worked and somebody mentioned I think Boschman played with him and Deprey worked with him. Is at that times. how
1: you say that? Dupre?
2: Yes, I knew you were gonna you're gonna get grilled for that one. It's That's much, fine. That much maybe care. worse than Dreesdale. <laughs>
1: I don't speak French Canadian. (laughs) I just, I just didn't know how to say it. Dupree. Okay. Simone Dupree. Anyways, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off.
2: No, no, but yeah, I I mean, I don't think it's his fault. It's definitely on the organization that they haven't found the guy to play with him, but he, he has this ability, right? Where he can Mm -hmm. be the guy we thought he would be. It's just, it doesn't happen all the time where, If he was kind of like in the future, like let's say it's Luke Hughes and Jamie Drysdale in the future, and if you had Cam and he was making two million dollars less and he was your second left, you know, your lefty on your team, it's not the worst guy to have. Like he has value when you have other guys who can do the other things that he can't. And if you put him with the right guy, which they haven't done much throughout Cam's career, he could be a really valuable guy. But the problem is he makes a ton of money. His contract is for like the next, what, four or five years. And they routinely play him with whoever's left. Yeah, he, he How many partners does he have this year? Seven? Eight? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think he's played with everybody but Getzloff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, he's played with Jack Kirk. He's now played with Larson. He's played with Wilinski. I think that... Like, yeah, Yeah. Maybe the only guy is Jamie Drysdale that he hasn't played with. Uh, and I guess Hampus Lindholm.
1: Yeah. So,
2: yeah, we honestly we
1: might just have to do a whole deep dive into Cam because yeah, I can talk about this for two hours because I I have so many thoughts and questions about him.
2: Yeah, um, we 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 can't we can't stick it on for long. But uh, one guy we do have to talk about because I know you wanted to, to talk about is another Ducks defenseman is Josh Mahura. And uh, I, I I mean I'll just kind of turn it over to you here in in terms of kind of <laughs> what spurred. We've talked about him in a bunch of different ways this year, but what what specifically did you want to get into with Josh here?
1: uh, So I have noticed that people are very scared of losing Josh Mahura in the upcoming expansion draft. And people are very scared of him pulling exactly the same shit that Shea Theodore is, right? Which is where he ends up on this expansion team. He's given a a bigger role bigger minutes and he turns into this you know norris buzz earning number one defenseman and like yeah man that would suck because you know they drafted both of those guys but i want to know how high like is that legitimately what everybody thinks his ceiling is because I don't know that Mahura ends up even being better on an impact level than Cam Fowler, who I shit on on a regular basis.
2: Yeah. I, and I, I, I think if, go, you, go, go. if you remove the whole Shea Theodore situation, we're not having this discussion, but it's like PTSD to, oh, we lost this young left-handed defenseman drafted from the WHL to an expansion team, and he's gone off and blown up. And, oh, we could do it again. We could lose another young left-handed defenseman who's looked pretty good, who's looked good in the AHL. For nothing, he's going to go to an expansion team. Oh, it's going to be the same thing. Like, can he be as good as Shea Theodore? I mean, we don't know. Maybe. Like, it's a long shot, for sure. Uh, But we just don't know what he is. Like, when he's played in the NHL, he's looked good. But... For Shea Theodore, the difference has, was like he so- was he couldn't send him down, right? Like when Shea was on his game, he got into a very competitive Ducks blue line and stuck around. There's something to be said. As much as I love Josh Mahura, the fact that and I don't know what's going into it, you know, whether it's they don't want to show him off or whatever, the fact that he hasn't gotten into a lineup that's had Andy Belinsky. That's now had Simon Benoit make his NHL debut. That's had Jakob Larson all year. It it says something about what the organization feels they have in Josh Mahura and what they felt they had in Shea Theodore.
1: And so that's my thing, right? Because you said, and, and I'm I'm not like attacking you, but like you you know you made the comment. You're like Mahura has looked good. I don't know that he's looked good. I think he's looked fine. And I think that there is a difference. If he came, Jamie Drysdale, for everybody, so they don't yell at me, Jamie Drysdale walked in and looked good. Mahura has at times looked like someone who's not ready to play in the NHL and at other times has looked like a guy who is capable of playing in the NHL. Again, the same thing with Theodore. And, you know, Christo mentioned it in the chat. Like, Theodore looked good. When he came to the NHL, he at times did not look ready, but that's a different thing. You could see that he was a step above players like Larson or Mahura or any of these guys. And so I I just think, you know, like I've made fun of Ducks fans for it, for it before, but like I do think they managed to turn everything into a referendum on the Shea Theater trade. And it's like at a certain point... We, like, have to move on. Like, as as a group, we need to eat our ice cream, watch our movies, cry all day, and move on. It's really bad. Because if, you know, like, I don't think losing Josh Mahura is in any way the worst outcome at the expansion draft. I think it's unfortunate but I don't think it's the worst. And I think the fact that they traded for Hayden Fleury, to your point, does say that I think they think there are limitations on what Mahura can be at the NHL level.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I would I would agree. I think when you, you know, I think he's looked good in the sense that you have to compare him to who he's looking good to, right? He's looking good in comparison to Jacob Larson and Andy Walensky, and Kevin Shattenkirk, right? Where as Shea Theodore came in and was looking good in a Ducks blue line that was considered one of the best young mm-hmm. blue lines in the entire National Hockey League. And he looked good. Now, I will defend the fact that there are several parallels to the development of Josh Mahura and Shea Theodore. Shea Theodore didn't, he, I want to say, dominated the AHL when he first got there. Slowly adjusted, you know, was about half a point per game in his first couple seasons. Slowly got up to it, and then he was a point per game, and then he started making his sh- his chances in the NHL. Had a season where he played like 19 games, which is fairly similar to when uh, Josh played 17. I think mm-hmm. Shea had nine points, Josh had five, and then now Maher is back down in the AHL. He's almost at a point per game. Shea Theodore went down, was around the same thing, and then Shea got moved to. Vegas in the expansion draft and then you know his first season in Vegas wasn't that great. I think he had 30 points in 69 games and then slowly picked it up and now he's almost a point per game this year. So there are some parallels, so I can understand their concern. But Josh Maher is not Shea Theodore. And right. he's not in and, and not saying like it's obvious he's not Shea Theodore now, but he's not Shea Theodore at the same point in their development. Mm-hmm. Like he's he's not where Shea Theodore was at when Shea Theodore was 22 years old in the Ducks organization. He's just not at that point. And I believe Shea was also getting it done as a 20- and 21-year-old with the Ducks, whereas Josh has kind of had three stints now with the Ducks, and it's been kind of the same, you know, four points in 11 games, three points in 11 games this year, five and 17. He's come in. He's done a job. He's looked good. But defensively, he hasn't gotten it done and sometimes he's just kind of not looked engaged in the play. So, I, I, I mean, like, I would still hate to lose him for nothing. Mm-hmm. But it's not so, the yeah. end of the world if we do. It's not the same situation.
1: Well, never mind. We'll have this conversation another time. We have. Well, I, we're going to have an expansion draft show. That's yeah, be I, I, I it's just, uh, yeah, no, we'll move on. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, you know, I, I don't want Maher to go, um, But there are only so many spots, and I think, you know, you can speak to this. The team is in a a pretty good spot uh, in the pipeline right now as far as having guys who can be potentially capable, you know, middle pair NHL defensemen, um, you know, of both hands, frankly, or even I think there's a couple of lefties that play on their off wing anyways. So I just think... It's not the worst outcome to lose Mahura, and I do think a lot of people are confusing, like you said, what are similarities in some of the context to being the exact same situation, and it's just not. Yeah, the teams yeah, are in a complete, like Anaheim is in a completely different place now they were than they were then. Like that's the other thing to remember. The, the issue is that he didn't quite fit what they thought their timeline was, and so they were like, all right, we're going to move him, keep our guys, and we're going to have this core for the next – and then that just didn't happen, and some of that core didn't develop the way they wanted it to. That's all stuff that is certainly worth pointing out and holding the organization accountable to, but that's not the case right now. Um you know, I don't think any of these defensemen that aren't named Jamie uh, are indispensable. As much as I love Hampus Lindholm, I do think you could put an offer in front of me that I would say yes to. Um, you know, I just don't think the context is the the situation is so similar that Anaheim is going to end up making a, a move that they regret. Um, yeah, as much as people seem to think.
2: Yeah, and, and like you said, I mean, the Ducks have some good young defensemen on the way who, projection-wise, are similar to what Josh Mahurik could become at his best. When you look at Jackson LaCombe, good year this year, improved, looked great. Henry Thrun, great year this year, did you know improved on his game, looked great. Ian Moore, same thing. And if the Ducks draft Luke Hughes or Simon Edmondson or Brant Clark, we won't even be talking about even if Josh Mahara goes. We won't even be talking about losing Josh Mahara because now they brought in, you know, a, a, a top-end defenseman to go along with Jamie Drysdale. So, and like Chris, Chris said in the chat, if you know losing Mahara means we save a good young forward from getting selected, it is what it is. And you brought in Hayden Flurry, which ultimately could replace what Josh Mahara brings. And Hayden Flurry is playing in the NHL. He's playing right now. And Josh Maher is in the AHL, so it, it, it is what it is if they select him. I I think Seattle will go somewhere else. I think they'll take somebody who they think is a bit more NHL-ready, but it all depends, I think, on who else they select from other teams. And if they feel like they want a good young NHL defenseman who could crack the lineup, maybe Maher goes. But it's not uh, it's not the end of the world at at, uh, at the end of the day. But somehow we got through this entire show, and we didn't really – touch a lot on Trevor Zegras's return to the lineup. like That was supposed to be the headliner of this show. Um, so I feel like we we should spend at least five minutes before we get to the final topic of the show here, just slightly touching on Trevor Z- Zegras's return to the lineup in his, his first NHL game at center because he didn't look out of place. He looked exactly the same when he was up before. The defensive side of the game didn't look like it was a burden to him. He was you know, hard on the forecheck. He got back quickly to his own end, he looked great. And when you look at the numbers tonight, he was the Ducks' most dangerous forward when it comes to expected goals for percentage. The Ducks' best line was Terry, Segris, and Comtois. This is, I mean, other than him putting up a point or scoring a goal, like, this is all you could ask for for his return to the lineup. And it's coming off of just exceptional play in San Diego where he had 12 points in nine games. So it's nothing... Yeah, you know, we're not shocked. We all knew when Zegas came back, he was going to look good because he looked good when he got sent back down. You know, he, he, uh, as much as they want to say this a transition to center, and maybe part of that's true, a lot of it was to make sure he didn't lose that extra year off his unrestricted free agent status, and it would be eight years instead of seven years. So it's not—it's no surprise that he comes back in and looks great.
1: Yeah, no, I think you know when he got sent down, everybody kind of understood. That it wasn't a necessary, it wasn't a move that was clearly needed. It was a decision the organization was making, right? And like that's fine. Like I get that. I don't think he needed to go down, Um, but they did it. I I get why they did it, and I don't necessarily have a problem with it. I do think you could make the argument that he has shown enough skill that it was worth just giving him his shot. But again, I don't think you did anybody any harm uh by taking off you know what is it two or three weeks and being like yeah just go play in Irvine for a little bit um so yeah he looked fine he looked good he you know I think a little bit early there were times where he looked a little bit um out of place as far as kind of running around chasing the puck in his own end but overall he was fine and he was being creative and impactful and he was using his skating and his stick handling and you know, just trying to create. That's what he's going to be doing. Um,
2: yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take some time to just get adjusted to the NHL game again, right? He's been down in the AHL for nine games. And in a lot of those games, he looked bored. Like, he just was casually going about his business in the American <laughs> Hockey League like, and torching mm-hmm. it at the same time. So getting back up to speed is going to take a couple of games for him. And the fact that he looked so good in his first game back just bodes well for the last six games of the season here and, and i hope they like we said earlier i hope they keep this line together i think eventually the points are going to come for these guys and what you know what a what great way to end what is a disappointing season than to have your top prospect look great mm-hmm. and hopefully put some points on the board right and and that's all we could really ask for i mean jamie drysdale looked excellent had a great game today trevor zegers had a great game you know, watching them for the last six games here and you know end the season on the high and, and pushing it next year, I think is is all we can really ask for.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. At this point, it's all just about the the little things that are going to get us into uh, draft season and the off season, and you know, seeing what all, all what comes of all of that. Um, so you know, at this point, it really is just looking at Trevor Zegers and seeing what he can do and hoping you know he puts up some he does something stupid wild in uh, in the last handful of games and we get lucky and get something to be excited about but
2: now we need to see uh, he's going to be uh, an NHL school. center
1: yeah <laughs> he's going to be in an NHL center and at this point you know it looks like he is certainly more than capable of becoming a number 1 center in the NHL
2: so Don't you know tell he has that to
1: that, get though. there he has to get there but it does look like uh, he's got a good shot
2: I know Pat's listening to this right now, and he uh, still thinks Trevor Zegers is a middle six center in the NHL, or a middle six winger, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, before we wrap here, you started a, a movement today, whether you wanted to or not, of uh, Phil Kessel coming to the Anaheim Ducks. Um, for Adam Henrique in a third-round pick, I think, is the trade you you picked. Yep. But the return is meaningless in this deal. Well, maybe not, but... Why Phil Kessel? What, where did this come from?
1: So, like,
2: I was just kicking dumb stuff
1: around, and I was just, like, trying to, like, you know, especially late in the year, one of the things I like, because I'm a loser, guys. It is what it is. <laughs> is like I'll look at, like, the draft lottery and, like, look at teams, you know, 10 through 20 and try to see who's in that range, you know, that Anaheim could be targeting to look to for things. And all of a sudden I went and looked at the arizona cap friendly and i was like damn phil kessel only has one more year left and he makes six eight. and i was like they don't really have a center <laughs> like they don't even have Derek steppen anymore at this point and i was like ah maybe they could use that and like phil kessel's cool man like he's awesome he's unintentionally funny and i for me the other thing is is he put Perfectly fits with what this team needs, which is a sh- small shot in the arm that lifts the goal scoring ability of the team to a point where you can see them being more competitive. But there's nothing about this that is a commitment to the future that puts the team at risk. More, off, more likely than not, what in this scenario, what happens is they trade for him, they play him, he plays 30 games to have a conversation. Do you want to stick around or do you want to go to free agency? He says what he says, they figure it out. They tr- either he signs the extension and everybody's happy and then everybody freaks out. But more likely than not, they get to the trade deadline and they move him. They get a decent pick maybe and he goes on and he plays in the playoffs and he does whatever he does. And then you know what happens? We don't have Adam Henrique on the cap anymore, which is awesome, because even if Sam Steele becomes a winger, Anaheim is still going to have the opportunity to, one, draft more guys, but two, sign guys or make trades. Adam Henrique doesn't give the team anything in the short term that it needs and it doesn't cost anything in the long term that you want so i just feel like moving on from adam henrique is a great idea and i like phil kessel he scores goals and he doesn't miss games and i think those are i mean honestly like the two biggest things that anaheim that hurts anaheim on a regular basis is they can't score goals and they're never healthy so yeah i'll take a chubby American who's super fast And scores goals like just I don't know like about blast. super
2: fast anymore But he did score tonight For Arizona and you know what when you first brought This up in our group chat earlier I said like, What are you thinking like this is stupid I will admit I have sat down And thought about it a little bit more And looking at the fact he has 18 goals on the Arizona Coyotes This year I, I can't Argue that he wouldn't also have 18 or more on the Ducks Right like I don't see how the Arizona Codys are that much more skilled, that the Ducks don't have players that can get him the puck and he could be the main guy in the power play. I, I think he would still have 18 or, or more with Anaheim in the same amount of games played this year. And yeah, you know, you're replacing Adam Henrique, who has 11, but the Ducks' top goal scorer has come to one. He only has 13. The mm-hmm. Ducks only have two players who have scored more than 10. Mm-hmm. Bringing in a guy like Phil Kessel as much as it is just for fun for now and to add a little bit more goals to a bad team. it You know, if it costs a third-round pick to get out of a last year of a, a bad contract, and then you can potentially move Phil Kessel at, you know, 50% retained. He's only making, you know, three closer to the deadline. That's likely two as a cap hit. And if he, you know, scores 10, 12 goals in 30 games heading up to the deadline or more pretty valuable asset to move and mm-hmm. you know his history as a stanley cup winner is going to do well uh, for as the,
1: the uh, rightful <laughs> winner of a con Smythe that was taken from him but sure we'll go with that for now
2: he's he's gonna be popular among some of the old school gms for his leadership and his uh his history as he a... might be
1: the one guy that won't get the benefit of the doubt there hilarious hilariously
2: up. he might but
1: yeah. the other thing i think that's also worth mentioning is is i i I don't know that it's the worst idea in the world to bring in a veteran mm-hmm. goal scorer, a guy who has consistently scored 20 goals in this league, to bring him in to put one, have around Zegres, and give Zegres a guy who can put the puck away for sure, but also like Jacob Pro Braden Tracy, Maxim Comtois, Sam Calandrol. You have these young guys who you're hoping can be Productive goal-scoring forwards, bringing again, a guy like Phil, who has been there, done that, has gone through the ups and downs, he's played on bad teams, he's played in the playoffs, he's won a cup, having him around to help provide that mentorship for these young goal-scorers and help them kind of deal with the emotional and mental parts of being a goal-scorer, I think that has a lot of value, and to be honest, if he comes back on a cheap contract, like who doesn't want Phil Kessel around forever?
2: I could like it's just it's such a nice and funny thought to think, is, think of Trevor Zegers' first full so career, funny. or first full season in his NHL career, would be playing with Phil Kessel on his wing.
0: <laughs> like, Dude,
1: come on, are you ta- it's like Priceless. No bullshit. Let. Are you telling me right now that if I told you it was they gave up Sam Steele and a third in that trade? Phil Kessel wins the Rocket Richard as a duck next year. It's a hundred worth it. It's worth it a hundred times out of a hundred.
2: Yeah, I mean, that would mean he'd have to somehow outscore Austin Matthews, so he's like to fifty or sixty goals, which I don't think is happening. Wait, has wait who, who did you just say? Austin Matthews.
1: He's American, right? Is it weird that the two best goal scorers in the in okay. the history of the world are American? <laughs> I think that's weird. Anyways, I'm
2: sorry. We're going off the rails with Phil here. But, I mean, like, ultimately, if, if it was Henrique and you do a sweetener because Henrique has an extra year in his contract to get out from that extra year and it brings in Phil, I would argue Phil fits better for the Ducks than Henrique does at this point in time, especially if you think Sam Steele or if the organization thinks Sam Steele is still going to be a center. You don't really need Adam Henrique, He's been playing on the wing. Why not go get an actual winger? And one who can score because the Ducks don't really have many of them. They don't. You know, Phil's age and whatever his history is kind of irrelevant to that situation. I think the Ducks' main focus in free agency this year is to go, is likely to go out and get a veteran winger who can score. Like that's going to be one of the things I think they actually bring in. Why not get out from a bad contract? You know, you're bringing in another one that's a bit shorter and you, you get no, that. No, 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 no. It's, Bring that one it's, in.
1: Two years shorter. Phil Kessel is a UFA next summer. Mm-hmm. After this year, Henrik still has three more years. How much older is Phil then? He's 33, so he's
2: uh, about years three old. years older. Two, two, three okay. years older, yeah. So, so I mean, you, I think you can get away with just a third just to get out from under two years. Yeah, Phil I will guess. be 34 by the time next season begins.
1: Yeah, I think the thing here, right, is you have to ask yourself, like, what is the best fit for Adam Henrique? The best fit for Adam Henrique is a team that he can come in and be a role-filling centerman. So you need a team that's kind of in a contending place. The problem with Arizona there is they're not. They suck. But they also don't have anything else. And if you give them a pick, I'm pretty, much, I'm pretty sure they'll do just about anything right now. Um, so I just think... You know, it, Adam Henrique goes to a team where he can be be useful and fill a role that is a little bit better. You know, I think Minnesota is a great place for Henrique, but they don't have Phil Kessel, so
2: Arizona it is. Uh, it's crazy how we're two years removed from Phil Kessel having eighty-two points in eighty-two games, and three years removed from ha- him having thirty-four goals and ninety-two points. I know it was with the Penguins, and he's playing with Evgeny Malkin, but still. But,
1: no, but still, uh, you're on his hockey reference?
2: Uh, yeah, I'm just looking at the fact. He's he had one point away from 900. He 37
1: goals. He had 37 goals in Toronto under Randy Carlisle on a team that the two best centers were Tyler Bozak and, like, a 23-year-old Nazem Kadri. This dude does not get the credit he deserves as a legitimate goal scorer, and it's because he's a walking meme. And I get it. It's very funny. But he's a legit, like, again, he has not missed a game in 10 years. And he has scored 20 goals in every season, but his first year and last year, which got cut short.
2: He'll finish uh, this season. He'll pass 900 points. He's one away after his goal tonight. He's at 899. He'll finish his career with over four hundred goals. He might get to a thousand points. It's maybe a bit of a stretch. But he if he plays four three you know, two or three more seasons, he'll hit it. So, yeah. you know, he can get a hundred points in in three seasons. Um, yeah, he doesn't get enough credit, I think. When we look at other guys who just hit a thousand or are getting close to a thousand, you know, getzloff, right? Like
1: mm-hmm.
2: getzloff, Kopitar, Corey Backstrom. Perry. Backstrom, Like, Phil's production is up there with those guys. But, yeah, he's a meme, right? Like, he mm-hmm. does not look like he plays hockey. <laughs> he looks like you know, he's overweight and and he's not an athlete. But, I mean, he, his, the numbers don't lie. He looks like lie. a beer league
1: goalie. Just say it. He looks like a beer league goalie. He looks like a beer league goalie who has, like, a 1993 Toyota pickup truck and they always have beer in the back. And God bless him for that. I love it. Because
2: I grew up around those
1: guys, and those guys are funny.
2: He looks like, like a a pitcher, who's probably like you know thirty eight, thirty nine, put on the pounds, and he comes in <laughs> for like you know relief in one or two innings and gives up uh, gives up like seven runs. He kind of looks like that guy. He's just kind of sticking around the dugout right now because he's got you know some experience to him. Like that's that's kind of what he looks like. But I mean, my God, he's got thirty eight points in fifty games this year. Phil Kessel it's not bad. Phil
1: Kessels looks like a guy who's worked at a gas station for five years.
2: <laughs> D.B. Lowry said the NHL's Bartolo Cologne. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's a great one.
2: Uh, uh, we could talk about Phil forever, but I mean, I hope we've at least convinced you that uh, Phil Kessel coming to Anaheim is not the worst thing in the world.
1: That's my thing, right? One, it's a fun and silly idea, but two, like what the hell else do you people have to do right now? Like, have some fun. Think about how interesting we could be next year with Phil Kessel on the team.
2: We need some sort of excitement. And if it means Phil playing with Trevor Zegers and them just yeah. clicking at an unbelievable level, it would just be amazing. It would just be great. Even, even if the Ducks, the ducks are going to be bad next year, Like let's not, let's oh, yeah, not no, kid ourselves. Like, Phil's not coming in and you know leading us to the promised land. But <laughs> Phil Kessel... <laughs> Scoring 25 <laughs> goals on uh, Trevor Zegas' wing would be would be fun to watch. Like, it would be a fun story to cover. Okay, wait a minute, wait a minute.
1: Which would be funnier? Let's say that Phil Kessel comes in this summer in that trade, the Henrik trade. Getzloff comes back for one more year. Phil Kessel puts up 50 goals playing with a rejuvenated Getzloff and Getzloff wins the heart because they won't give it to Phil. And so Getzloff wins his only heart playing with Phil Kessel or Getzloff retires and Phil scores 50 goals and Phil wins
2: the heart. Which one is funnier? I, th- I think Phil just winning the heart is hilarious oh, in any instance. It's, it's just this. amazing. I need this so bad. Just making Gear it Bomberai impossible for them not for to Phil give Kessel. it to him. Like the Ducks squeak into the playoffs, and Phil has like 50, <laughs> 50 plus 30, has 80 points. It's, it's like the Taylor Hall season. Yeah. I mean, but so you know, McDavid will have 140 crazy. points, but the fact that Mc, that Kessel scored 50 and got the Ducks to the playoffs gets him the heart. Uh,
1: <laughs> that's awesome. God,
2: I can just imagine a 34-year-old Phil Kessel walking up to the Vegas Award show. And holding the heart trophy. <laughs> While McDavid and Matthews watch from the crowd.
1: <laughs> oh god, that would rock. As
2: that as they be. walk off with the Art Ross and the Maurice Rocket Richard trophy. Dude, I mean, he would
1: look Matthew like still
2: a scores ch- fifty-five goals, but Kessel gets the heart.
1: <laughs> he would look like if that happened in Vegas, he would look like a street magician who just wandered in off stage and on stage. <laughs> Incredible,
2: he's a busker off the street.
1: That's, <laughs> <laughs> That's what we should do for a bu- for a pucks and bruises just do Phil Kessel looks like for an hour and a half.
2: He's got a heart, yeah. DB Larry he's got a heart in one hand and a hot dog in the other. <laughs> he walks up on stage with just a big mustard stain on his shirt.
1: <laughs> no, dude, he he fucking he fucking pulls up to the the NHL
2: awards in the Oscar Meyer wiener truck.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Just right on stage. <laughs> he hops out the back and a bunch of hot dogs spill at the back of the truck. Oh, exactly. <laughs> All right. We got to wrap this up. Cause Pat's a old man screaming at us right now that he has to go to bed. So <laughs>
1: shut up, old man.
2: Uh, but we, if you guys did not see the draft preview show that Stephen and I recorded with Josh Bell, make sure you check that out. It's the only look we're going to get at the draft until probably middle of June, right? You know, a week or two out from the draft, and we'll kind of revisit that and, and look at uh, you know some of the updated standings with some of the tournaments and everything going on. So. If uh, if you're wondering, I know we've, we have these questions kind of come up almost every show, every day on Twitter, like who's the top guys in this draft, who's the guy the Dust could, could look at. That is an evergreen show that you can go back to until we record another that, you know, Josh goes into, I think, what it was like the top eight guys yeah. in this draft. We kind of broke down all of them, how they could fit with Anaheim, what their skill set is. Um, so it's it's a great show and Josh knows a, a ton more than both of us combined about these guys and he's been watching <laughs> them all year long so make sure uh, if you know if you're looking for not only a show about the draft but a, you know with a Ducks focus on who they could get and, and how they could fit with the team make sure you go check that one out because it's a good one and um, also we have a Pucks and Brews for any of our Patreon guys that's coming up hopefully this weekend if not uh, we're going to push that out in early May and if you're new to the show or, or new to, to kind of listening to us, uh, Pucks and Bruises is our kind of flagship show on Patreon, uh, which is our sort of kind of subscription service. We've got a bunch of people over there who like to support the show, and we we give them bonus content. Maybe not as often as we should, but, <laughs> but uh, whenever, whenever we get the time to get it out, it's always a ton of fun. Um, the guys make fun of me, as they did last show, for apparently not drinking anything or complaining about drinking uh, any alcohol. So it's always uh it's always a good one but uh that will do it for today what next game is saturday so friday saturday Saturday, back-to-back yeah so not sure if we're gonna have a show uh, on saturday the last couple saturdays we haven't uh, been able to schedule a show so we'll keep you guys posted on twitter Uh, but if not then we'll see you uh after the king series for uh, the blues games and the wild game to wrap up the season thanks for everybody who came out live and we'll talk to you guys later take care Bye, everybody.
1: guys everybody